Bună dimineața! Ce faceți? Well, they always say you can tell how a speaker is doing by the way the crowd interacts with them. So, um, we're not starting off very well. Um, we really appreciate the invitation to come and speak. How many of you are part of that invitation? All right, so... Um, So again, another awkward moment where um, I'm speaking to a group that didn't want me. So um, either way, we'll get, we'll get through this. Uh, we've been really amazed at the way that missions has affected our family. For the longest time, it was just our family of four, uh, my wife Shannon, my daughter Karis, and my son Caden. Uh, but we've been amazed by the way that this has grown um, among our family over the years. It was just us for probably six, seven years, and then it started to expand. My sister Sarah and her husband Camilo and their three children are now Nazarene missionaries um, in Cape Verde, Africa. Uh, there must be a shortage of missionaries if they got called. Thanks. Um, but if you're going to put my sister anywhere on an island in the middle of the Atlantic, that's the place to do that. Um, but what we didn't expect is that this would continue to expand throughout the rest of our family as Shannon's parents, uh, pastored in the Church of the Nazarene for nearly 40 years, uh, felt that they were done with that part, but that God wasn't done with them, prayed about what the next step would be, and they too became missionaries um, in the Church of the Nazarene. Now, this story started off great because they were 4,208 miles from us, all the way over in Sri Lanka. Um, but through a change of events, a stroke of bad luck, and an old Eastern European curse I somehow cast on myself, um, their field has changed, and they are now serving in Bulgaria. Uh, if your Eastern European geography is a bit rusty, let me help you. It's a lot closer to Romania than it should be. Um, the bad news is that they can come and visit us whenever they want, and they do. The good news, though, is that when the house falls from the sky and lands on my mother-in-law, it's a short drive over to go get those ruby slippers. Um, we probably should take care of some basic housekeeping uh, before we get started. Uh, there is a table um, in, the, in the foyer uh, with some things from Romania, some things to look at, um, but there is something on there that we want you to take. Do you guys pray for your missionaries? What about the rest of you? If you, can, if you could start praying for missionaries too, that'd be great. Uh, we have some of these prayer cards out there. Uh, we actually did not mean for them to be this big. So apparently when you order overseas, you do have to do the metric conversion, which we apparently forgot. So uh, if you're interested in getting a missions poster, um, <laughs> we have those back there. We were really worried about the size at first until we realized that they're just big enough that if you put them where you put other missionary cards, that this one's big enough to just cover up those missionaries you no longer pray for. <laughs> so, um, so put it there, cover up those missionaries. I mean, we do it ourselves, so we're totally cool with that. And um, that way you'll be able to see it. We, um, we've really been encouraging our churches to get involved in microbusiness as a way to fund some of the ministries that they're doing in their local communities. And one of our churches that I will share about with some of their stories is the church of Tsigmandru. And for a while, Tsigmandru has been making um, 
boy and girl dolls dressed up in traditional Romanian apparel. I thought this was really great, and I wanted to encourage the churches to do that, but these were just, they got boring really, really fast. And so I asked them if they would be willing to make a doll of Romania's most famous or infamous character. And here he is, Dracula, in the cloth. Now, I didn't know that before we arrived in Romania that our churches were told by a mission team to do absolutely nothing with Dracula. And I walk in and say, hey, I think this would be a great idea. And the mission team, they came at me about it. I can't believe that our district superintendent is having the church make devil dolls. Well, I can't believe the Church of the Nazarene thinks I'm fit to be a district superintendent. So, um, so we're all a bit shocked. Um, the Romanian boy and girl dolls, unfortunately, we don't have any with us today because they have sold out rather quickly, um, but we do have more of them being made. So grab a prayer card if you want one of these, and we will find a way to get them shipped to you. Um, if you're okay with breaking families apart, by all means, just buy one. Um, <laughs> But if you think families need to stick together in good times and bad, buy them both. Uh, we're selling them one for $15 and two for $25. Um, the Dracula dolls were selling for $6.66. <laughs> uh, we probably should sell these for $15 as well. Um, so I can hopefully survive our, uh, our first few years uh, in Romania. Um, Selling these dolls is how the Sigmanju Church takes care of those in their local community. Um, and after my 80% transportation fee, every penny of these dolls goes to them. Uh, this is how they feed children in their community. It's how they care for their neighbors. And um, it's how I fly first class back home. <laughs> All right, so if we can go to that first picture. I don't know if this will... In Romania, there's a fortress that sits on top of just some random hill. From our city of Brasov, as we drive to see the church up north in Sigishwada, we always pass by this fortress. And every time I pass by it, I, I really wanted to go up and see it, but it just never taken the time to. Shannon's parents were visiting us over Christmas, and I thought, well, where's a good place to take them? Oh, to a woods filled with bears and wolves, of course. So it, um, the 15th winter snow had already melted, so the road was a mess. It's a terrible road anyway. And after nearly destroying the undercarriage of the car to get up this hill and around the corners, we finally make it to the base of this fortress. The boys decided, though, that the incline was just too steep. There was no way to get to the fortress itself. So we made the decision that we were going to walk around the backside through the woods to come up to the backside of the fortress. The girls decided that they were going to admire the fortress from the road, and my daughter, Karis, decided that she was going to admire our stupidity from the back seat of the car. So we began our 40-minute trek, my son, Caden, and myself, along with my father-in-law, Bill. The three of us get out and begin our hike, 40 minutes through the woods to get there. Even after 40 minutes, though, we couldn't even see the fortress and didn't know how close we actually were to it. Once we got to a base and started looking at the incline, I started to worry about my father-in-law. He's getting older, and I didn't want him to make the climb if the fortress wasn't there. So I made the very difficult decision that Caden and I were going to run ahead, leaving my father-in-law alone with all of God's good creatures. It was for his own good. Uh, I was thinking about his overall health. Uh, trust me, of all of my in-laws, he's the one I like. 
So we get up to the top and um, we look over the horizon at where the fortress should be. And as we look through the trees, there is no fortress. It's a total bust. So I grab Caden and off we go back down through the woods to the trail where we think my father-in-law is waiting for us. I look both ways as far as I can see and there is absolutely no sign of him. Success. Uh, we figured that he just got tired of waiting and had gone back down with the girls. So Caden and I, we also began the 40-minute climb all the way back down through the woods to the car to where the girls are waiting for us. There's no Bill. No sign of him. We have no idea where he is. I am worried. My wife is worried. My mother-in-law is panicking. So it was worth it. I leave, I leave Caden with the girls and off I go tearing up. As, as fast as I can to get back up through this mountain. Now, the first time that we had made this climb, we had heard large crashing sounds in the woods. We had found bear prints and bear scat and the rooting marks of wild boars. I knew that Bill's chance of survival was low 30% tops. So I began to yell for him in the loudest whisper that I can muster. And looking down the trail, I finally see him, and Bill is lying face down, motionless on the trail. I'm kidding, he was fine. I, um, I asked him where he's been, kind of playing off my own negligence, and we begin the slow walk back down to the car. I can't believe you left me alone in the woods, he said. True, but look, the bears are hibernating, and I haven't heard a wolf howl all day. Yeah, Josh, but you left me alone in the mountains of Transylvania. Yeah, but at least you don't have to worry about any blood-sucking monsters all the way up here. And why is that, he asked. Well, because she's all the way down by the car and she's worried <laughs> sick about you. I want to share some stories about what God's been doing on the mission field. But what I want you to realize is there's really not that much of a difference between the stories that we encounter. That many times we think that what has happened in the past is, is more special and more miraculous. That the present just doesn't have the same type of stories that the past have. We tend to forget that it's the same God who's working, that it's the same God who is calling, and it's the same God who is moving. I want to tell you about our Tsigmandu Church and the children's program that started there. I want to tell you about nine-year-old Christina, nine years old when she came to the program and nine years old when she was severely beaten by her father with a log from the wood stove. As her head begins to gush blood, she's too embarrassed to say anything, so she goes and just lies down. Our pastor's son, Nelutsu, would always go to the house bringing bread for the children because they simply weren't getting enough to eat. And every time that he would come to this house, the children were so excited to see him that they would come running out to greet him. But when he comes this day, it's a little different. As the kids stagger out of the house one at a time and he notices that they've been crying he asks them what's wrong, and they say, Christina's head is broken. Nelutsu goes inside the house and finds little nine-year-old Christina lying there. As he begins to examine, he can see that infection has already set in to the head wound that she has. But he also has another worry, a worry that she's not going to be treated even if they get her to the hospital because her hair is filled with lice, bugs, and eggs. And in Romania... You're not going to be treated if your head looks like that. 
He picks up nine-year-old Christina in his arms, takes her to the car, and the whole time to the hospital, he's praying that they will just accept her. As he picks her up again once they arrive, brings her into the hospital, the first person they see there is the janitor. Nelutsu explains who they are and why they're there and that they're from this little town called Sigmandru, and it just so happens that the janitor's family is from the very same small town. The janitor immediately has compassion on little Christina, takes Christina into her arms, takes her into a back room, cleans out the lice and the eggs, and then begins to treat the infection. Without even seeing a doctor, Christina starts to feel better. And after just a short time, is brought back to the village. It was this compassion that led her to understand the story of Jesus, to understand his compassion, to see that there was something else that happened. Try to tell nine-year-old Christina that what happened to her was any less miraculous than what Peter and John did for the beggar at the gate called Beautiful. A man who couldn't walk for his entire life. Peter and John come up to him having absolutely nothing but what they do have they give to him. Just like Nelutsu and the janitor who have very little to offer nine-year-old Christina, they give her what they have. The man in the gate is healed. And the same Jesus that heals him is the same Christ that Christina accepted into her heart and our church there in Sigmandru. You see, it doesn't matter whether you are pulled up from a life of paralysis or picked up after being beaten by your father. The story is the same. Only the setting has changed. This is our church, a church that has been helping the community for quite a while. There was an outbreak of tuberculosis in this town, and only one doctor in the neighboring area was willing to help. But he knew he needed more help than just himself. Coming to our church, he asked if we would also be willing to help as we opened up the doors to our sanctuary and became a triage center in our neighborhood, deciding who could be treated there and who needed to be transported to the hospital. There were five children in that community. Well, more than five, but five that are part of this story. Five children who were coming down with tuberculosis and their family was so worried that they would spread it to other members of the family that they simply pushed their children out of the door to walk the dusty streets of this small town. The children, having nowhere to go, came to the only other home they knew, the Church of the Nazarene, down the street. As they came in to get treated, we realized their condition was simply too bad for them to stay. As they were transported to the hospital, spent the next three months there. When they were finally healed, they came home. But not first to their first home. They stopped back by the only other home that took them in. Try to tell the children of that town that what happened to them was any less miraculous than what Jesus did for the ten lepers in Luke 17. That of all the ones he healed, only one came back to thank him for the healing that he received. And do you know who that one was? It was the Samaritan, the outsider. You see, the Roma kids in this community the gypsy children. They understand what it means to be a Samaritan. They understand what it means to be an outcast. They understand what it means to be a disease. And now they understand what it means to be loved as one of God's own. Because the story 
is still the same. Only the setting has changed. I want to tell you about Andrea, a little one-year-old baby girl who started coming to our Mother and Babies program, a ministry that got the church started. There were so many teenage mothers who could not care for themselves and therefore could not take care of the lives that were born to them. The Mother and Babies program was an invitation to all mothers to come to help their babies get treatment and love and nourishment. Maria was the mother, a young teenage mom, who didn't know how to take care of little one-year-old Andrea. We really encouraged the mothers to stay so that they can learn how to do it, but Maria wasn't interested. She simply dropped off little Andrea in the pastor's arms and left. As our pastor Magda began to look at little one-year-old Andrea, she realized that she had never been bathed in her one year of life. Maria just didn't know you had to do that for your infant. Magda begins to put little Andrea in the water. And the movement of the water is a new sensation for her as she begins to vomit uncontrollably into the water. But after 20 minutes, she starts to feel better. As Magda begins to scrub her skin, what has developed into what looked like scales, begins to massage her, put on new clothes, and then finally shaves away her hair because of all of the lice that is there. It's time to take a group picture after the ministry. As all the children are lined up on the steps of that church, Maria finally comes back and tries to scan the crowd trying to find little Andrea and doesn't even recognize her own daughter because she's clean for the very first time. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has already done so much. He has healed and forgiven the paralyzed man, brought the synagogue leader's daughter back to life, healed the woman with the issue of bleeding, and healed the blind and mute in the town, yet he continues to look at them and have compassion because he realizes that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And in, in, in his utter frustration, Jesus turns to his disciples, realizing all the work that needs to be done, and says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This is what we are realizing in ministry in Romania. As this family, as our pastoral family continues to have compassion on the people of their community because they too are harassed and helpless because they are sheep without a shepherd. You see, the story is the same. Only the setting has changed. When you're at the church, across the stream, is this blue house that you see here in the middle. This house only has two rooms. This would be fine for a family of four or a family of six, but there are 16 people living in this house. 12 children, or 12 adults, four children, but we use the term adult pretty loosely, as many of those adults are young teenage mothers and brides. There's two girls one, age 13, who married her 14-year-old boyfriend while the parents were off working in Germany. And another 12-year-old girl who is also living with her husband. I always see them outside of this house when I'm, whenever I'm there at the church. Both of them outside washing clothes and washing dishes from the well in their backyard. They're always out there because they're trying to escape what is going on inside the house. With the windows open... Even from the church, you can hear the father screaming at whoever will listen to him. Known for being the meanest man 
in this Roma town. The girls, as they're washing clothes and washing dishes, notice that across the stream there's an energy going on around the church. As people begin to gather and work is being done, the girls make their way across the river and ask if there is something that they can do to be involved. So we put them to work in our gardens, in our greenhouses, in our aquaponics system. This is how we help feed the community. The girls begin to enjoy it so much that they ask if there are other things within the church that they can do. As they're working side by side with the pastor, they bring it up. I don't know what it is about this place, but every time I'm here, I feel a release and a relief and emotional healing that I don't feel anywhere else. Giving the pastor the opportunity to share the good news of who Jesus is for the very first time. Other than what happens at the church, these girls, they don't know much. Much like a woman who doesn't know much. She's only heard a couple of stories of who this Jesus is. But she knows that if she can just get close to him, close enough to touch the hem of his garment, that she will be healed. There are two young gypsy brides who don't know much. But they know that whenever they get close to the church, whenever they are close to the body of Christ, that something begins to happen, that there is an emotional healing, a relief that takes place, giving us the opportunity to demonstrate the love of Jesus to a family and a community who desperately needs to know. Because the story is the same, only the setting has changed. I want to tell you about Ovidiu. Ovidiu works at our safe house for survivors of human trafficking, but Ovidiu came to us in a very different way. You see, Ovidiu was on the other side of things. Ovidiu ran a brothel, and he would buy girls from traffickers in order to enslave them in his enterprise. It was very important that these girls stay. For Ovidiu, it was just business buying and selling girls. It wasn't personal. Much like a man who finds himself on the road, who has also been abusing people around him, maybe not doing it himself, but rather holding the coats of abusers as they abuse the innocent, much the way that Ovidio held the coats of those men who were abusing young girls. You see, for Saul, it was just business. It wasn't personal until he's on this road and Jesus himself confronts him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, it's always personal. The same God that turned Saul the abuser into Paul the apostle is the God who grabs the heart of another abuser. As Ovidiu enters the church of the Nazarene in Bucharest, for no real reason walks in and for the first time hears the story of Jesus Christ, not even knowing what it means, he gives his heart and life to Jesus that very day. You know what Ovidiu does now? He is the protector. 
He is the one who escorts the girls as they go into the courthouse to testify against their traffickers. As he stands there beside them to make them feel safe. And even as sometimes outside of the courthouse there is a tug of war as the trafficker is still trying to yank the girl from their arms once more. It is Ovidio who steps in between them and lets them know that this girl will no longer be abused as she had in the past. You see, amends still need to be made. And just as Paul spent the rest of his life proclaiming the gospel he once sought to destroy, Ovidio is spending the rest of his life protecting those lives he once sought to destroy. Because the story is the same, only the setting has changed. One more story. In the town of Sabaden, we have a family that's unlike a lot of the other families in these gypsy communities. It's a home that has both a mother and a father. But Marian, the father, he has had his issues. Typical issues of Roma gypsy men his age. Of going out and partying, of drinking and stealing. And stealing is what landed him in jail several times. It was his last time in jail. And something broke his community back home. The children of this town were already being trafficked in a way. As they were being put on city buses and shipped an hour each way into Bucharest to beg, forced to bring that money back home to whoever put them on that bus. But one day a man shows up in a large van and says, you know, it's very unsafe that you're putting these kids on these city buses. I will take them safely to the city and bring them back. The problem is the children weren't going to Bucharest at all. He was taking them to his house and filming child pornography films. It took longer than it should have for this to be discovered. But once it finally was and the police identified the victims, they found that nearly all of the victims of this enterprise came from this one small town. A whole community of children whose lives were utterly destroyed allowing the staff of our safe house to come in and begin to spend time with these children. Marian, finally released from jail, begins to notice that something is going on across his town. And just like Zacchaeus, he climbs up into his tree in order to get a better look. Who are these people who are coming to bring food and clothing to these children? Who are these people who are buying ice cream and sitting on the ground and, and playing with them and, and teaching them sports and just letting them vomit all of the information that they have inside of them. Marian comes in for a closer look. And just like Zacchaeus, he realizes that his days of stealing are done. As Marian becomes our point person there, giving us contact with the local mayor and the school principal, where we have been invited to do ministry. It was in this connection that we made with Marian that we were invited to do one of the many ministries that we do in Romania as we teach American sports, baseball, and American flag football, teaching sports that none of these kids have played before because the best way to include everyone is to play a sport that everyone is terrible at. And as kids began to come on that field, we started to realize just how important it was as we began to see Romanian kids coming onto the field and then watching as Roma gypsy children also started to enter the field, two groups that don't get along 
in Romania, but we're able to have fun and share time together. That was a miracle in and of itself. But as we started the camp, I looked as two small girls began to enter from the west side of the field, arm in arm. One of the girls I already knew from our time working in the town of Sebedin. She comes from a very rough family, and she's a very rough little girl. The girl beside her is a very small, cute, little blonde girl that I had never met before. And as we go up to introduce ourselves and have her introduce herself, we find out a bit of information and realize that she is a little girl that we have been praying for. You see, there was a family in that town. The father had left to find work in Germany and the mother had gone off to another part of Europe because she simply didn't want to be alone with the children. Leaving the 10-year-old boy, Yunutz, to drop out of school and care for his siblings. As we had talked to him, we found out that dad had come back home, but mom was still missing. You see, mom had gone off to Paris with her three oldest daughters, 12, 13, and 15 years old. And while in Paris had trafficked all three of those little girls, we had been praying for them, that they would come back, that mom would bring them back. The little girl who was linked arm in arm with the girl we already knew was one of those three girls coming back just three days before we started this camp, giving us the opportunity to pray with them, to share the love of Jesus with them. As her older sister comes into our safe house, wanting her days of being trafficked to be done. I tell you these stories because I want you to realize that the stories that you read about in your Bible are no different from the stories that we are seeing. That God is still moving and healing and working. That Jesus still sits on the throne. And the Holy Spirit is still bringing lives back to him. I went in, in my time with, um, with a video. In this video, you're going to see girls who have been trafficked. You are going to see their family members. You are going to see kids from the town of Sabadén who were part of this child pornography ring. I want you to realize as you watch this that these are lives that are being changed because of the gospel message. That they are hearing about Jesus, some of them, for the very first time. That these stories are not our stories. That these stories are your stories. Because each one of you as you have been involved in missions, you make the work that we do possible, that lives are being changed because you and I are going together. These are lives that have been changed on your second missionary field. So continue to serve Jesus in the Jerusalem where he has placed you. But please remember that you are a vital part of the work being done in the ends of the earth. God bless you.